Here's the thing. Do I understand this correctly? I'm being marked down? What is this, the bargain basement? They don't make them like they used to. Who's they? The filmmakers. Oh, the filmmakers pe- don't make them like they used to. Hollywood. The Holly- old picture factory. The- <laughs> That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tinseltown. Tinseltown. Yeah. Hollywood. They don't. They don't. <laughs> Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they? Do they know things? <laughs> do they know things? Let's find out. Let's find out. Yeah. Bojack Horseman. Yep. Watch it. Love mm-hmm. it. Live it. Don't he, live it. Don't live it. He is He's very highly self destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're rolling. Welcome. We're rolling. We've been rolling for 90 minutes and we, we just cut in now. I just decided to turn it on now uh, because the earlier conversation was inappropriate. Nope, not good. Um, and probably would cause some some uh, strife. We'd get some feedback. We would, and, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to How Have You Not Seen This? Welcome. Which is a weekly podcast uh, where one of us shows the other one a movie that they should have seen by now. Exactly. And uh, that's Daniel Carlson. Hey, everybody. And I'm Tracy Carlson, because we're married. Mm -hmm. Not brother and sister. Oh, God. Which is gross. Oh, shit. weird <laughs> i want to make it clear yeah i thought it was well i you never know people it says husband have, and wife in the description of the podcast new v- listen we live in the south oh true yep okay and i am but not like arkansas yeah but think about it our families trivia mm-hmm. for the listener our families have been have both been in this state for over seven generations a long time So we could actually be related. Okay. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast where we just find out unpleasant things about ourselves. Let's talk about a movie. Yeah. Ruthless people. Ruthless people. Ruthless people. Mick Jagger's going to sue sue you for that. That's horrible. I have no money. Well, He has a lot of money. Why would he sue me? He'll sue you for your something. Mick. Mickolas. Is it short for Nicholas? Uh, you're short for Nicholas. Mi- um, I decided to show Daniel one of my favorite movies from when I was younger, uh, teeny tweeny, I don't know. Um, Ruthless People, 1986's Ruthless People. It is a. It's one of those movies that I clearly remember being nine years old and my parents going out to the movies which is weird to think of your parents going on a date considering like what they're like now and them coming back and just raving, raving, raving about this movie and me being like, great, I can't wait to see it. My dad's like, this is not appropriate for children. And it is not appropriate for children. Yeah, not but, at all. But when I did get to see it, I was super, super jacked and I was very happy that I saw it because it's... It's uh, got to be rated R. Oh, it's very yeah. R. Yes. Yeah. It's very R. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I guess I'll ask you, uh-huh. how have you not seen this? How have I not seen I mean, Ruthless People? Let's assume, yes. obviously, it's 1986. You were four years old. We I know was. why you didn't see it. But why didn't you see it? Yes. I didn't see it in 1986 because I have responsible parents. And so that's just. <laughs> well, and yeah. also, you were four. Exactly. I mean, so uh, I didn't see it after a while because. It's one of those movies of its era, and these these happen all the time, 80s, 90s, 60s, 70s, whatever, that 
They're they're well known in their era. They're even popular for a little bit. They make some money. They're they're well known if you were around, but for a variety of reasons, they just don't last at that like canonical level of of the super hits or super well known, super discussed. You know, uh, it's one of those like kind of you know classic pieces of of mid level entertainment. Like it's it's really funny. Like there's a lot of good things about the movie. I had a really good time. So we'll I'll spoil how my reaction is. I had a really good time, but it it's understandable that it might not be a mega hit or something that people talk about years and years down the road if you weren't around in that era. Uh, so, so it was a little outside my radar. Well, I'm going to tell you, there there are critics out there and people still talking saying that they genuinely don't understand why it is what you say. Like mm-hmm. there, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be that way. It should be one of those canonical, um, yeah. 80s films. It actually, the budget was 9 million and the box office was 71 million. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It did. Okay. That's the thing. It's one of those movies that like, <laughs> it made a shit ton when of you money. go back and look at the list of like the highest grossing movies of the year and you go back, you know, year after year, like a lot of them are still really popular today or known about, but a lot of them might be like, you know, especially outside the top 10, lesser known, lesser remembered. They're much more of their era. So they just didn't carry over. That's not to say they weren't good or even popular in their day. They just didn't have that, whatever that X factor that for some reason made them lasting. I wonder, though, if that is your generation speaking, though, because. Well, only about these, but. Well, I clearly remembered it. I wonder if other Xers out there are like, yeah, how do you not like ruthless people is one of my favorites like maybe that's oh totally that's you. what i'm saying like i think it's a generational thing too like if there were there are, you're a child there i am a child there are movies <laughs> like this that came out in the 70s you know yeah that, well and uh that people f- who grew up then would know really well but you and i not on our radar yeah so let me let me uh first let me quote some sources because i am a responsible journalist i am not a journalist nor am i responsible no, but i also don't want to be a dick uh, this is where I got my information, and there was a lot of it out there, which I was very grateful for because I learned a lot of really fucking cool stuff about this movie. Uh, Lawrence Van Gelder uh, from the New York Times service wrote a great piece. Um, Sarah Barnes from My Modern Met. Lola Landachik, which I think is maybe one of my favorite names now ever uh, from The Art of the Title, which is now one of my favorite websites ever. If you awesome want to know website. about uh, titles, uh, title sequences. sequences from movies. Oh, my God. Uh, then The Dedicated Follower of Fashion, which is a blog. I can't find any name attached to it, but it's fantastic. IMDb, Wikipedia, and Andrew Buss from the Laugh Button. So thank you to them. I will be uh, using their information freely and happily. Um, the Here's the deal with this movie. Um, it is an 80s movie. It is a, uh, here's a very general, it's a 1986 American black comedy film written by Dale Lawner. I'll talk about him in a minute. Directed by... Zaz. If you are a film critic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, I'm going to tell you it's David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker. Zaz. That's how they're known. They uh, are, they grew up together in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and made a lot, a lot of movies together. And the ones that you would be very, very aware of are the Kentucky Fried Movie 
Airplane, Top Secret, The Naked Gun series, Big Business, Ghost, The Scary Movie series, A Walk in the Clouds, and First Night, which, yes, I just put in because it has a great soundtrack and also super hot people. Um, The uh, film is the story of a couple who kidnap their ex-boss's wife to get revenge and extort money from him. They soon realize he does not want her back and was planning to kill her himself. Meanwhile, the boss's mistress plans a blackmail attempt on him, which also does not go as planned. So there's your like small breakdown. The stars are uh, Danny DeVito, Bette Midler, goddess, uh, Judge Reinhold, Anita Morris, and Helen Slater. And then we have Bill Pullman in his film debut. This was his first movie? It was his first movie. I know. I did not know that. <laughs> he's he's hella young in it. And yes. like. I figured it had to be one of his first because he doesn't get remotely close to like the first billing. No. He's like an also starring this guy and many other people. Yes. But it was the first. I didn't know that. I know. That's great. That's, I know. That's so his cool. His first, his film debut. 86. The, huh. um, so the three guys, the three directors, they all worked on it. Jerry Zucker was kind of the primary. He would be the one talking to the actors. The other two would watch from monitors and give comments just in case you were wondering who the... Um, and I recommend you look these guys up and see the work they've done because it's pretty – you're like, wait, what? They did, huh? But when you watch the movie, you see the influences. You totally see the Naked Gun influence. I mean, Oh, yeah, an airplane. An airplane. Totally. Oh, my God. They even have people from Airplane in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, see if you can spot them. Uh, so the directors – normally wrote all their own material, which I did not know. I think it's very interesting. But they were contacted by Michael Eisner, everybody's favorite, not really, (laughs) of Paramount at the time, who said he had a script we wouldn't be able to turn down, and he was right, said David Zucker. It was too good. It was very well written with great characters. And hey, we wouldn't have to leave town to do it, because it's in L.A. So he's being all like, Um, Andrew Buss of the laugh button i really like what he said um he said airplane may be the film that will forever follow zaz to their graves but nearly 10 years later they ventured into what would be an all new territory for the directing trio a film that sought out to spoof nothing it was a journey into a brand new genre for them and unlike most cases where a filmmaker decides it's time to branch out and spread their wings this one actually worked and it did i I think it did. I I think that it um, made, although I mean, it is kind of a spoof of the of the uh, extravagance of the eighties. Yeah, it kind of riffs on that a little bit, but it's it's not a spoof in the way that like Airplane is. Obviously. Airplane, they take zero hour and just add in jokes. They take pardon ex- me. Yeah, I speak jive. I speak jive. Yeah, they take an existing <laughs> movie, rewrite it as a comedy, and add in jokes, and it's it's a spoof of of those kind of movies, like you know, Airport. Uh, yes. So, so this, though, is just like a – it's actually – it's not super bleak for a dark comedy. Like a dark comedy now is going to be much oh, no. harder. So like this is not – it's like a very, very soft dark comedy. I it's think really, dark only in that he yeah, wanted her dead. But yeah, like, it's it's more comedy comedy than just – than a dark comedy or anything. Um, yeah, but it's you definitely see the influence of, of their style. You see – you're like, okay, it makes sense that these guys also did Airplane, Naked Gun. It's that yep. vibe. Like there's a lot of like – goofy sight gags yep um as well uh so it's definitely got that kind of that feel to it that flavor yeah and of course when i saw the cinematographer i thought well fuck me because Mm -hmm. i knew that we would have to deal with the squeal moment from daniel because the cinematographer is jan de bont 
uh, director, film producer, cinematographer known for directing the films Speed and Twister. He also was the DP for Die Hard. Die Hard. One of the best movies ever made. And Basic Instinct, another fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen, I'll go to the mats for Basic Instinct. Yeah, of course. And not just because it's sexy as hell. Yeah. Um, And then our personal favorite, The Hunt for Red October. So good. The Hunt for Red October. Uh, I am, I, whatever. We've, we already know. So yeah, but what's what's random about that is like, Yandabot clearly so good at being a cinematographer and director for action and stuff. Mm, yeah. And this is not remotely that. There's some like action-y scenes. Not really. But not really. Like it's 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 so funny that he's the DP. I know. It's yeah, it's it's That's why I thought it was great. I was like mm-hmm. Yonda but wait, what? Mm-hmm. All yeah, right. It's Someone so weird. needed a paycheck or mm-hmm. was just learning. Hey, or it's I don't a good know. gig. Yep. It's a good gig. It's great. You're working with great people. Um great soundtrack. Okay. Thumping 80s soundtrack. So 80s. It's like being inside a Casio keyboard. You've got Mick Jagger, Luther Vandross, Billy Joel singing a fantastic 80s Oh, yeah, that Modern Modern Woman. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. We may have to... Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll end on that or if we'll end on... We've got to throw it in there somewhere. Well, yeah. We'll throw it in. It's so 80s and so Billy Joel. Uh, Paul Young, Machinations, uh, Dan Hartman, Cool in the Gang, uh, Bruce Springsteen... So, so I mean, you can't. Yeah, it's very eighties. You can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just was crazy about it. I did not know that. I learned a lot about uh, not just this film, but how it was made uh, by uh, by who, whom, who? Halm. By Halm. By Halm, it was made. <laughs> I went to college. I swear. Um, (laughs) this film was released under disney's touchstone pictures label which okay touchstone we all know touchstone i didn't know of course daniel knew being a film critic i didn't know that it was created so the studio could release more adult oriented fare grown-up shit now what does this mean for the people that are creating the movie it means they have access to disney stuff which is why you see them wearing donald duck masks the kidnappers wear donald mm-hmm. duck masks you see um danny devito singing um a song from Zippity song, of, song from the right. south mm-hmm. which is so I, I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater too. When, it, when, they, when, re-released when they re-released it. it. I remember like the 80th, 50th anniversary. being super uncomfortable. I was young. Yeah. And I was like, and I and I was like, this is not right. I mm-hmm. feel like this is not right. No one's saying anything, but you I just have this feeling. And then of course I got older and I was like, oh yeah. yeah. As a kid, you're like, something's happening. Something. But yeah, something. So you and I both went to see Song of the South in the re-release. That's a yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's how they were able to throw in. You see Disney stuff. stuff. Disney's like, yeah, go nuts. We don't really care. It's a Disney. It's so it's Disney finance, but they can say motherfucker. So it's a great, nice balance. Yeah, they can say she's sucking my dick. Yeah, and Disney's like, it's fine. It's it's fine. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. Um, here's one that kind of threw me. Madonna was originally cast as Barbara Stone. The Bette Midler role fucking horrible idea yeah that's a terrible idea she was way too young terrible idea i get that they were like who's popular with these kids we gotta make some money but like we gotta make some money from these kids at the the picture factory because we're in the 40s get the get the cameras (laughs) yeah 
So, Shaman oh rolled at Cinemascope. What a terrible idea. Yeah, but there were artistic differences between Madonna and the director, which I imagine were um, Get Out, You're Madonna, and You Shouldn't Be Here. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. Way too young. 1986 Madonna. Way what? too young for this. Also, Bette Midler, it's like it was written for her. I'm yeah, sorry. she does a good job. It's like it was written mm-hmm. for her. And actually, speaking of Bette Midler, this is one of a mid-late 1980s mini-cycle of movie comedies starring Bette Midler that were all produced by Touchtone Pictures, including one that I've shown you that I love so much, Big Business. Big Business. Which is fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone says. Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Fruitless People. Yeah. Outrageous Fortune, which is Bette Midler and um, Goldie Hawn. No, Shelley Long. Um, and it's so, so funny. And then Down and Out in Beverly Hills, another absolutely hysterical one with um, – um, Gary, uh, no, Nick Nolte, and uh, what's his name from What's It with the Aliens? Whoa. Uh, Come do you on, walk me Jaws. through a step at a time? Jaws. Roy um, Scheider. No, was Jaws in a... Come on. Um, Richard Dreyfus. There we go. Ah. This is why you listen there to this is. podcast. You guys missed the, the hand motions, too. Accuracy of information that I you like, provide. You like wiggled your arms like little wings on the word aliens. Like well, they, they were, were flying. flying down. Yeah, that's right. I got they it. We're flying down to see you. I got it. Um, let's talk about the writer. You want to talk about the writer? Yeah. Because I fucking love this. I love that everybody felt like they needed to get in on what on what inspired him and like how this movie came about. And you'll find all these opinions. This is he, he clearly he based it on this. Clearly he based it on this. And he's like, hey, I based it on this. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Shut up, man that wrote the movie. Um, Okay, so when you look up Ruthless People, you're going to see reference, a lot of references to O. Henry's short story, Ransom of the Red Chief. Um, It was first published in July 6th of the 1907 issue of the Saturday Evening Post, my personal favorite. It's the best of the Evening Posts. It is the best of the Evening The other six days just fucking suck. I like the afternoon on Wednesday. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, it follows two men who kidnap and attempt to ransom a wealthy Alabamian son. Are there wealthy Alabamians? Tons. Alabamianians? You got it. Eventually, the men are driven crazy by the boy's spoiled and hyperactive behavior, and they pay the boy's father to take him back. The story and its main ideas have become a part of popular culture with um, many children's television programs depicting versions of the stories as one of their episodes. Um it's okay. So that's, that's that story. That's what everybody says. Oh, he based it on this. Then, um, one critic who I don't, you know, put much faith in. And I think he was just doing it to be like, Oh, I have a PhD and know many things. Uh, Drew Morton writing for some shit website said he feels like, the film is an unadvertised adaptation of Elmore Leonard's novel, The Switch, in which two kidnappers hold a millionaire's wife ransom only to discover that the husband doesn't want her back. That's fine. You can think whatever you want. Let's ask the writer what he thinks. This is what he says. I certainly read O. Henry as a kid, and I don't remember consciously lifting it. Um, the actual inspiration for the film came from the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Oh. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah. Um, some people say it also shares plotline similarities with the 1959 British film Too Many Crooks. You can look that up on your own. I'm not getting into it. Too um, many crooks. Too many crooks. <laughs> we got yeah, too yeah, yeah. many crooks. Too many crooks. Sorry. Too many crooks. Apologize. Too many crooks for this film. All right. Uh, let's talk about Patty Hearst. Do you know about Patty Hearst? Uh-huh. Tell me what you know. I don't want to. Okay. Because I know like the Wikipedia drunk version of Patty Hearst. The drunk. Oh my God. Now that's really what I wish we could do is just us get drunk and I tell you about Patty Hearst. We could do that later. Um, Let's do that. So Patricia Campbell Hearst. I, okay. I am one of those that thinks she got a bum deal um, and she got screwed by her lawyer um, who was, uh, what's his name? Oh, the judicial system. Oh, uh, yeah. Effley Bailey. Effley Bailey. Thank Effley you. Bailey fucked her over. Um, and that was not in my notes. I just remembered that, which shows you what a fucking nerd I am about court case stuff. Proud of you. Thank you. Um, she was the granddaughter, is the granddaughter of the great American publishing magnet and nut job, William Randolph Hearst. Um, if you haven't seen Cat's Meow, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent um I think a good idea of what he was like. Um, She became internationally known for events following her 1974 kidnapping by a left-wing terrorist group, the Symbionese Liberation Army. I'm not even going to get into these crazy people. We do not have the time. No, they are fucking crazy. I was I fell into a wormhole digging into the Symbionese Liberation Army. And I was like, okay, at this point, I don't even know what movie I'm talking about. Um, Hearst was found 19 months after being abducted, by which time she was a fugitive, wanted for serious crimes committed with members of the group. She was held in custody. There was speculation before trial that her family's resources would enable her to avoid time in jail. Uh, at her trial, the prosecution suggested she joined them of her own volition, However, Hearst testified she'd been raped and threatened with death while held captive. Um, In 1976, she was convicted for the crime of bank robbery and sentenced to 35 years in prison, later reduced to seven years. Commuted by Jimmy Carter, pardoned by Bill Clinton. You know, it's one of those things. Um, There's a lot of talk of uh, the Stockholm Syndrome when it it came to Patty Hearst. They're like, she did what she had to do to stay alive. Yeah. She also... um, you the whole idea behind Stockholm syndrome is you just start to um sympathize with your kidnappers. Yes, sympathize God, I couldn't find the word. Sympathize with your kidnappers mm-hmm. and you're like, well, you know, and and also you are trying to stay alive. Yeah. There's um, definitely a degree of that in the movie. It, there's a there's a degree of that in the movie. And also I think um also, there's just his own original ideas. I mean, Jesus Christ, the band did not like yeah, just like copy the Patty. I feel Hearst like story. obviously, like the Patty Hearst is, is in the air. Uh, the O. Henry thing, of course, you know that idea. Like we kidnap somebody and it goes wrong because they're actually terrible, and we actually want yeah. to pay the person to get back. Fun twist, but like that got absorbed into the ether so much, like that it becomes one of those just ideas and tropes that gets trotted out. Like I think you could fairly make a sitcom plot or a movie that riffs on that idea without having to say, "Oh, this is directly inspired." By the O. Henry short story. It's just yeah. one of those things. Can't we also just say he wrote a really great movie and... Mm-hmm. The screenplay gives, is actually fantastic. Who gives a like, shit about the, where the it script came from? Is, the script is great. It is so, so tight and fun and tied together and intricate. And uh, Tracy summed it up earlier. Like, you know, the kidnappers 
kidnap Bette Midler, and Danny DeVito's like, I don't want her back. Uh, and so he strings them along. But Danny DeVito's mistress is also trying to blackmail him. But, like, it's a really tight, fun script with, like, full of, like, coincidences that pay off. It does the really awesome yeah. farce thing of having two people talking about different things yes. in one conversation at the same time. Like, like uh, they each one thinks they're talking about something different, so they're having a yes. conversation back and forth. It's a really classic farce thing. You see it a lot in a lot of great farces and comedies. Zazz. It's I, very zazz. It's very zazz, yeah. Zazz. So yes. it's, and it's a really fun, energetic little screenplay. So, like, and it's just it's tied together so well in my fun little package. So yeah. I really thought the script was great. I, I like a... Lawner says, usually humor, black humor, has a strong sense of irony in it. Almost any ironic situation you can see, you can play it for comedy. He actually wrote, he wrote the film very quickly in two weeks. No uh, fucking way. He wrote it in two weeks. But his original version was not as funny as the film on the screen. Um, he didn't have uh, very much confidence in himself when it came to writing comedy. Huh. He said, I, I knew it was a good story. I wish I could meet Neil Simon and let him make it for me. I think that that he <laughs> right. would make it great and fun, and and I could just be like, yeah, I can't with the story, but I'm not good at funny. Well, Neil Simon, but we're not Neil. Nobody's Neil Simon. Nobody like, is Neil Simon. Yeah. Oh man. Good luck. <laughs> just Neil Simon, are you out there? Mm-hmm. Are you dead? Is Neil Simon dead? Ooh, welcome back to our podcast. Is Neil Simon dead? <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, who was I? I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. Who was I? Who came into? Oh, okay. So this, I'll get to it when we talk about set design. He just died in 2018. Oh, fuck. August of 2018. August 26th. Neil Simon. We're coming up on the one year anniversary of his death. Damn. Yeah, I had no idea. So, wow, he... He was 91. Well, when that's he died. a life well lived. He lived a long ass time. I wonder what he died of, of being 91. Um, died of being 91. Yeah. Christ, let the man yeah. die. Shootout. Just a shootout. Just with... a shootout. <laughs> 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 or shoot up. Maybe he was like, you know yeah. what? I'm 91 and I've never tried heroin. That's what I'm going to do. Four wives, three kids. Jeez. Well, Simon. It's yeah. not always, uh, yeah. That's amazing. Oh, okay. So actually, I want to. I want. This is what I wanted to read because you were saying how it's not. How it's not one of those. That's. This is not one of those movies that's well remembered. And then I want to hear you talk. And then I want to talk about set design and titles. Uh, I'm being very bossy. I'm. That's so different. I know. That's I'm so different from normal. Never this way. Nope. I'm a shrinking violet. Yeah, you is. Andrew Buss, who I totally dig, um, says Zaz set a new standard for the way in which we view comedy. Here they prove that they can provide so much more than just a parody. What we see here is a reflective mirror held up to the human condition. Everyone is, everybody is so quick to want something. Once we get it, we discover that it's not all that we ever wanted. Um, what we get doesn't seem to make us as happy as we thought we'd be. Hi, the 1980s. Hi. That's the 1980s. Mm-hmm. We're still not 100% satisfied. Actually, that's right now. We're like yeah, the new phone, the new watch. It's kind of just watch, being alive. New, yeah. yeah. It's a film about motives and the decisions we make. Ruthless People is a film that was critically praised in its time, and it does stand the test of time. Totally. Um, but when people talk about the great dark comedies, it never seems to be on the list. It has a lot going for it, so one can only wonder why this film is not as revered and remembered as it ought to be. Andrew yeah. Buss, you and I stand together. Yeah, uh, and again, I think he touched on something that we mentioned briefly earlier. I don't, I didn't think of it as a dark comedy when I was watching it, 
at no point did I think this is a black comedy or a dark comedy. Oh. Um, so you think that's what it is? You think people think of it more as a comedy? I think, if, think it's more it's just, just straight up comedy. Lost. Because Zaz has such a wacky vibe. It's not a dark comedy. It's not... Uh, I mean, and Danny DeVito would go on to make dark comedies in his own time. So like... Well, I think him taking the wrong number and saying, I wonder, I, there's no way I'll be able to find that online. If I yeah. can, if I can, I that's will just try a, to that's put just it a comedic, in. That's just a comedy comedy thing, though. Um, I don't think that, like a dark comedy. Is, oh, that's true. A dark comedy is, is, is bleaker. It's rougher. The, the jokes are tougher. Like, no, this, that's true. This, is, this has more of like, I mean, like, it's got that, that airplane vibe. It's got that naked, that naked gun vibe. Like, it's funny. Like it's I, at no point did I think of it as, as goofy, like because the opening scene is Danny DeVito talking to his mistress about how much he wants to kill his wife, Bette Midler. Anita Morris. Anita Morris so plays the mistress. She's beautiful. great. And but it's played, though, for regular laughs. It's it's not played for he's not actually going to like wreak genuine harm upon her. And none of the violence that comes up in the movie is 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 actually violent or scary. It's all slapstick and goofy. That's true. So. From the get-go, you get, okay, this is a scheming, conniving little guy. But he's scheming, conniving in that Danny DeVito way. I mean, he's just, it's like, let's get the guy from Taxi. Like, it, it's that vibe. It's so gross. It's the Danny DeVito vibe. Him. So, like, it's not intimidating or creepy or, or dark or bleak, like an actual dark, dark comedy. So, I think of it as more just like a straight-up 80s comedy. All right. So, I think. So, we've rebranded it. Yeah. I think it's not considered one of the Should great we... dark comedies because it's not a dark comedy. All right. I'll make a call to the writer. Yeah. And let him know. So, uh, I, I, that's what I think. And I, I think, again, it just might not be remembered because it's uh, it's one of those movies, like, dozens of movies come out every year. That's, and which ones get remembered versus which ones don't is impossible to determine. Well, we're going to make people remember this. Yeah. With this podcast. Rent it. It's like a few bucks on Amazon. Hey. Rent it. Hey. Five people who listen to this. Hey, I think we're up to seven now. Hey, seven people who listen Hi, to this. Hi, mom's friend. Hey. <laughs> Uh, we want you to spread the word that Ruthless People is a great comedy, period. Period. Flat Forget out. that dark stuff. Just a great up comedy. Great comedy and totes inappropriate for children. That's not good. Don't show it to this to your children. Definitely do not show it to your children. Don't. It's not for kids. No. I mean, it's not like... There are boobies. There are boobies. Very fake boobies, but boobies indeed. Yeah. There, there are boobies. That's when I was like, this is probably rated R. <laughs> <laughs> Because I thought they were just going to go for the pantomime, your typical pantomime. Uh, and I was like, oh, like that PG-13, like, you know. No, but I was like, oh, boobies. nope, that's a naked lady. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what else did you, any other, what other thoughts did you have? I had tons of thoughts. I'll uh, share them. I loved, I loved, I thought Bill Pullman was really well cast as like a moron and does a really good job in his first movie. Uh, he's really funny and goofy. Uh, I thought he did a, a fantastic job. It's, um... It's very 80s, very 80s, but it has a lot of really good lines that stand the test of time, like uh, the kidnappers call Dane DeVito, and they're like, bring us this money, and we'll give you your, kill your wife. And then, you know, he doesn't do it because he doesn't want her back. And they call him, like, the next day, like, where were you? And he's like, eh, I couldn't make it. And just the way he delivers that line was yeah. really funny. Yeah. There's a lot of really good actual jokes, like, you know, Bette Midler's being really mean to the kidnappers, and, you know, Helen Slater's like, she's just so mean to me. And Judge Reinhold's like, you're her kidnapper. She's supposed to hate you. Like, yeah, she's like, she, I don't yeah. think she likes me. Yeah. And he's like, she's not supposed to like you. Yeah. Uh, I thought there were 
there were some things that I definitely had questions about that made sense as it went on because one of the running things is Bette Midler has low self-esteem about her body and her character loses weight while in captivity because she's chained in these people's basement, but she works out a lot and loses a lot of weight. Yes. And she does this by just changing outfits. They had her in like padding and weird clothes and a very weird wig that made her head look huge. And yes. they just, so cause like, I was like, what is with her hair? Why does her head look like that? Why is she wearing a weird wig? And I was like, oh, it's so that they can never go through a weight loss montage and just put her back in her normal clothes and her normal hair. Yeah. And I get it now. That makes more sense. It is. Uh, so I was like, oh, that that that's great. It's very of its time. Again, 80s. The uh, Bill Pullman's fish are named Crockett and Tubbs, which I loved. And I loved the uh, little appearances by other like little 80s uh, character actors. There's a guy who comes in to buy a stereo at one point from Judge Reinhold, who works at a stereo store. And he's just just a bit part, just a character actor, just shows up for one scene. But I recognized him, and I couldn't remember where. And it turns out his, his name is Gary Riley. He played Dave in... Summer School of Chainsaw and Dave, Shut the horror movie up. fans. Yeah, uh huh. It's him. Oh my See it? god! Yeah, because I recognized him right away, but I didn't know from where. Summer I School. I did not. Dave know. of Chainsaw and Dave. I didn't even. I'm didn't Dave. See he's it. Chainsaw. We'll see you at the movies. Yeah. Wow. It's Dave from Summer School. So when well, you recognize the chief of police, mm -hmm. uh, we are going back to head of the class. We, it, we all things come back to head of the class. I'm telling you. Dan Schneider, call me. Mm -hmm. I just got a pedicure. The mugger, I love to. At one point, Danny DeVito's out there arranging like a fake drop off for the for the hostages that he set up, and he actually gets mugged while he's standing out there with a suitcase full of money. And the mugger is played by Frank Sivero, who played Frankie Carbone in Goodfellas. Goodfellas. I don't know if you recognize him, but he's he's a which also stars. Oh, he was also he also played uh, a man named Jenko in. The Godfather Part Two, oh. sequel to The Godfather. Oh, things come back to the Godfather. You did that for me. I did do that for you. Yeah, he plays Jenko, one of the young guy in, in the flashback sequence of Godfather. Godfather Two. Amen. But I saw him and I was like, well, "This is a random tiny role for you, guy." But I because re I recognized him right away. I was like, "Oh, that guy." Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, it's very very eighties and of its time. Like the music, the the uh, set design. The furniture, it is. Let's talk about. It's one of those peak '80s design. things. Like, there's some movies that you can just show people, and you're like, "This is the '90s in a package. This is the '80s. This is the '70s." There's lots of those movies of, of different eras that just unintentionally wind up representing their eras. Uh, they they didn't set out to. They just like, oh. No, this, this one I think intentionally. This did, but uh, it's it's very '80s um, in, in a fun yeah. fun way. You can. Uh, have what you doing? What are you singing? I'm singing Ruthless People. Ruthless People! No, it's if you want it, you can have it. There's the... Yep. Do we want to tell folks about the parody song? Uh, Yeah, so apparently there is a... I had forgotten this. I knew it, and then I forgot it because it's not information I needed in my head. Now it is. But there is a parody song called Toothless People by our favorite Weird Al Yankovic. Thank you. Shout out to our friend Josh for reminding me. Yep. Um, it's all about people who don't have teeth or who need to take care of their teeth. Yeah, I don't remember. I will let's let's listen to let's listen to a little bit of it. Hey! 
So there you go. Toothless people. Toothless people. Yeah. And it's I get it makes sense. I couldn't think of a food right away for the rhymes with ruthless, but toothless eating Listen, food. Listen, that man can make anything work. Yeah. Big We've all seen parodies. that 30 Rock. We've all seen that 30 mm-hmm. Rock. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the set designing titles now. It is so 80s. It, this is my favorite part of the research that I did because I had no idea about any of it and it just fucking blew my mind and I loved it so much. Um, I should start out by saying that I know a house that looked like this, that looks like this. It probably doesn't now because I think they've moved, but like they just were in the 80s and they stuck there um instead of being as uh red and black and blue it was more like teal and um uh salmon and stuff but there's a house like this here in houston and it was whack um so let's talk about the. i do want to say when we first when we first go into the house that danny devito and bet midler live in i was blown away like it didn't just have like 80s touches or architectural flourishes no. it is that jagged those little jagged colors and the pops and the little zigzags i'm gonna tell you what that's called hit me that is called the memphis style why memphis is a design movement that began in 1981 you may think where do you think it came from you think you may think it came from tennessee because that okay. would make sense but it got its start in milano in milan italy designer ettore sozzas Founded the Why Memphis group. Memphis? Will you let? I'm. I'm so excited. Why do you interrupt me? I'm curious. Um, designer Ettore Sotsas founded the Memphis group with other designers and architects. They took their name from a Bob Dylan song titled "Stuck Inside of Mobile" with the, with Memphis, the Memphis Blues, Blues again, again, which was played on repeat during their first meeting. Oh, so there's literally no reason other than that, huh? There like, you go, Bob Dylan. There you go, Bob Dylan. Bobby D, you got yourself a. So every time you look at that weird ass 80s style that's this very specific thing, you can thank Bob Dylan. Yeah. Huh. The, uh, like many creative movements, Memphis was a reaction against the status quo. I mean, think about the 70s. It was all avocado and... uh, Everything was furry. Everything was furry. Everything was that avocado green and that that awful yellow and brown, Brown. shades of brown. The 70s were like just like the colors of illness. Yes, the 50s, 60s, mid-century modern, and 70s mm-hmm. minimalism were about structure and straight lines. To counter that, Sotsas centered the group's thinking around radical, funny, and outrageous, essentially disregarding what was considered in good taste at that time. The geometric figures of Art Deco, the color palette of pop art, and 50s kitsch inspired their unusual aesthetic. That is... That's it. That I mean, is like it. those three things. Same again. What were they? They were the geometric figures yeah. of Art Deco, uh-huh. the color palette of pop art. Imagine yeah. it's just like oh, a Lichtenstein. Yes. It's the reds and the yellows and the blues. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And 1950s kitsch. Oh my God. That's yes. perfect. Yes. That's exactly it. So it was, they just made that shit explode. Uh, the prevailing features of Memphis design, laminate and terrazzo materials, um, which were usually found on the floors, were incorporated into tables and lamps. Huh. Squiggles, a.k.a. the bacterio. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. Thank you. A.k.a. Squiggles. the bacterio print was designed by Sotsas in 1978. And bright, multicolored objects with a rejection of typical shapes, often instead of chair legs being rectangular, they'd be circles or triangles, which looks fucking ugly as hell but yeah this furniture if you were to look for the real stuff now is so goddamn expensive that's insane it's out of control that's insane now i will say that 
um, they make a, a point of saying they didn't use any real Memphis stuff. They couldn't afford it. I'm obviously for the movie, which actually is also kind of funny when you think about it, that that's supposed to be the real thing, but it's not. Um, yeah, they use imitation stuff. It's cheaper. Yeah. The only thing that's not Memphis is uh, Danny DeVito's office, which looks like a completely traditional office. Oh, He's super like, 80s office. Me. Did you notice there was a statue in, in his, his office? office? Of... No, I didn't notice. Napoleon Bonaparte. Huh. Who was 5'7". Yeah. Welcome back to our podcast, How Tall is Napoleon? <laughs> Taller than Danny DeVito. Yep. So yet, I did like the little, I did like the little Napoleon Bonaparte. I was like, oh, that's cute. I get a little man because he's mm-hmm. short. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would like to remind you all that he was not that short. He was only five seven, and that is not that short. It's a pretty average height, especially back then. Exactly. I mean, the boy was getting his protein. Mm-hmm. Um, so the titles, the titles were animated, which which Daniel feels like was a thing for the '80s. I really couldn't find a lot of evidence to that, other than. Um, uh, True Beverly Hills. That was was that the eighties or the nineties? Yes. Okay, True and Beverly Hills. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They, yeah, it felt it just feels like an eighties kind of thing. Yeah, well, no, I mean, yeah, there weren't like a ton of them, I don't think, but I think it just seemed like fuck it, why not just draw cartoons? Well, they went to now like renowned, renowned um, artist Sally Cruikshank. Um, who would end up creating title sequences for uh, comedies in the late 80s, including Mannequin, Loverboy, and Madhouse. Uh, she, oh my God, I got this from Art of the Title. I just fucking love this woman so much. Um, you you should really go to Art of the Title and look at the, they do a um, da-da-da on her. a Profile. No. Biography. Retrospective. Thank you. There it is. <laughs> the words. Mm-hmm. They're there, but they're not. <laughs> so they, uh, she talks about uh, creating this. She says, as I recall, I went in to talk to them about the titles. They did a screening of the movie, and I thought, oh, this is great. They said, what we want to do is a cavalcade of ruthlessness through history. And I thought, no, I was so strong, struck by what? The Memphis design in the movie. So I said, you know what you should do is you should treat the piece so that every title is treated ruthlessly and include the design of this crazy furniture that the wife in the movie is buying, which is Memphis design. And then the production designer loaned me a book on Memphis design and I was so off and running. It works perfectly well, I think, because the directors were so gag sharp. They would throw out concept after concept until they had exactly what we wanted. So we really refined each individual credit more than most directors would have done. And if you want to watch the credits, I'm sure they're on YouTube, but they're also on this art of the title piece. Um, and it's they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. The sequence requires multiple viewings to tr- be truly appreciated as new details leap out with each play. Did you notice the rug's eye? The J in Jan de Bont's credit growing hands and cowering? The no. shocked bottle of poison. No. The figures in the cafe at the end. No. Well, they were there. I saw cartoons. It was really funny. I didn't notice all those details. Now, this is the part that I love because it's very, it's exactly what I would imagine something happening between uh, uh, anyone and Mick Jagger. Uh, if you haven't heard um, uh, John Mulaney's bit about working with Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. Not me, funny. I'm going to find it. Hang on. Like Mick Jagger, he came in to host the show. My friends were all like, is he nice? No! (laughs) Or maybe he is, for his version of life. 
because he has a very different life. He's Mick Jagger. That's his name. He's played to stadiums of 20,000 people, cheering for him like he's a god for 50 years. That must change you as a person. If you do that for 50 years, you're never again gonna be like, um, does anyone have a laptop charger I could borrow? You know, you know that bullshit way we all have to talk to get through life? Hi, knock, knock, sorry. That's how I walk into rooms. I am 35 years old, I am six feet tall, I lower myself, I go, hi, knock, knock. I say knock, knock out loud. <laughs> Mick Jagger didn't talk like that. Mick Jagger talked like this. He'd go, yes, now, <laughs> yes. I pitched him a joke and he went, not funny. <laughs> I mean, people say that on the internet, but never to your face does a British billionaire in leather pants go, not funny. <laughs> I spent two hours alone with Mick Jagger that week. We were writing song lyrics. It was for a fake song in a comedy sketch. And he was sitting there and we came to one point and he goes, all right, let's all go to the picnic. Let's all have a drink. Let's see what rhymes with drink. And I said, think? And Mick Jagger said, no! <laughs> and then I said, sink? And Mick Jagger said, yeah. And I was like, motherfucker, is this how you write songs? Just one word at a time with verbal abuse? Like, aura, I can't get no happiness now. <laughs> Satisfaction? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next sentence. Okay. That. So, okay. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Now, here we go. The interviewer asks Sally, and tell me about the music, that Mick Jagger track. She says, oh, well, Mick Jagger didn't come in, did not come in initially, even though the song he sings on it is the title theme, Ruthless People. He stalled on it for a long time, so we had to go ahead and animate it without a track, which was too bad. It would have been so perfect to hook up the music to the animation. You may have read or heard this story, but one time long after I was driving my car and I had NPR on, they were interviewing Mick Jagger for some promotional thing or book. I've never been able to track it down. And so I'm just driving along, and I hear him say how he really hated those titles. And what? I, yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, well, I hated your song, too. Nice. <laughs> I just love her being like, fuck you, man. Oh, Mickless. It's just, it's so Mickless. It's very Mickless. Like, oh, I hated those titles. And she's oh, like, oi. you are a dick. Yeah. And he's probably a huge dick. No, no. I mean, he's probably a, like, I, I don't. Just he was just here. The Stones were just here. And I... I, I'm just go go home and spend your money. What are you doing? I can't believe they can be that good. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I can't believe that at like 80 years old, they're mm -hmm. that good. Yeah. I don't know. Or however old they are. Also, I just can't. I don't think I'll ever be able to get over what's his name snorting his dad's ashes. Keith Richards? Yes. He, oh, that's fucked up. I forgot about that. Gross. Yeah. Um, I've never been a Stones fan. Like, I like a lot of the songs, you know? I, but like, yeah, there are Stones. A lot of the hits, a lot of the singles, but. Yeah, there are Stones songs that are like part of my soul that totally. I love. Totally. But 
I have never been like a ride or die. Like people no. are like stones or Beatles. And I'm like, first of all, fuck off. Like, why should I have to pick one? But second of all, Beatles and I'll beat yeah. the shit out of you. Like they're different bands trying to do different things, but obviously the answer is Beatles. I mean, don't, don't come at me with yeah. stones. You're going to lose. So yeah, like I like a lot of stone songs, a lot the of stone songs from like, you know, the Beatles, a lot of their hits, a lot of their big stuff. But like, I've never been, like you said, that's a good way to put it. Never been like a ride or die stones head. It's not my thing. Word. They, I mean, they wrote some stuff. And yeah, tons of great songs. They wrote some stuff that is really, really amazing. But they did not shape movements of music. They did not shape the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I like uh, Ruby Tuesday. Like the that's a great one. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. I like Sympathy for the Devil. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I like You Can't Always Get What You Want. But if you try sometimes, you just you, might find you get what you need. It's true. Good advice. Yeah. Thanks, Nicholas. Well, I mean, I think that we agree that the Stones are a fantastic band. Totally fantastic band. Uh, and not as, not, they just shouldn't, it, we, we shouldn't talk about them. Why do we have to compare them with the Beatles? We shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to, it's, and we won't. I never wanted to. I didn't either. It was them. It was the society that did it. It is. Stop it, society. Stop, you stop Fucking that. put it down. Stop it. It's not okay. Right now. I don't like it. Oh my God. I love this movie. Yeah, it was really fun. It's very funny. Bette Midler is one of my personal... She's one of your uh, idols. Goddesses. Yeah. I mean, goddess. I remember when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, I can't remember, uh, Jackie White and I sang From a Distance in chapel. Oh, my God. Accompanied... Um, on the piano by January Sai, and we were amazing. And that's all I'm going to say. And then I think I did it again for Unity. Which do you think is better, From a Distance or The Rose? Oh, Jesus. I mean, The Rose. There you go. Mm-hmm. Who? Come on now. Yeah. Shenanigans. I've also never seen The Rose. <sighs> Listen. I haven't seen most Bette Midler movies. We've already discussed the fact that this podcast is probably just going to turn into me showing you movies from the... 80s this podcast could just you've... be me catching up on Bette Midler movies at this point. <laughs> That's true because I really want to show you. I've seen like two. I really want to show you down and out. All of them Hills. through you. I can't <laughs> think of a Bette Midler movie I saw before you. <laughs> there has to be one. You showed me Big Business. You're welcome. Uh, You've never seen Beaches. Never seen Beaches. Uh, yeah, like hold on, let me look up some Bette I Midler. I figure movies. for Beaches, we'll put like. Korean face masks on and like cucumber slices and I'll do your nails. So like a normal Saturday. And we <laughs> we can cry together. Yeah. Uh, so a, a, a normal, you're describing a normal Saturday yeah. for us. Uh, Bette Midler. Bette Midler movies. Here's some movies. Uh, okay. Down around Beverly Hills. Haven't seen it. Fabulous. Ruthless People. Just saw it. That's what we're fucking talking about today. Yeah. Uh, sorry for swearing. Outrageous Fortune, haven't seen it. Funny. Big Business, saw it through you. Beaches, Funny. haven't seen it. Funny. Hocus Pocus, that's right, came out when I was a kid. Not a good movie. Oh my God. I know someone who is related to you who probably does not listen to this podcast and would murder you for I was 11, that. and even at 11, I was like, this is not that great. I actually don't like it either. Uh, the First Wives Club. Yes, you've seen that. No. <gasps> I fucking love that no. movie. The Stepford Wives remake. Saw um that. for the boys didn't see it didn't see that gypsy either. didn't see it no uh yeah like geez i have not seen most of her movies i've seen her in concert how was that amazing yeah 
Oh yeah, she did. Oh, she did a voice in Oliver and Company, which she I saw. Was born I was a to kid. Be live on stage. Scenes from a mall. No. Oh yeah, she was in Get Shorty, which I fucking love. Also with Danny DeVito. See? Great movie. So watch your sass, mister. Get Shorty's a great... Oh, I love Get Shorty, Get Shorty so much. Get Shorty is one of our favorite movies. It's great. You and I, like, sometimes Drowning just Mona. randomly freak Divine out Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Didn't see it. Don't talk sass about Divine Secrets. She was in the remake of The Women. I know you love that one. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just, we're, just a moment. We may have technical difficulties while I strangle my husband. Sorry. It was a joke for everybody out there. I, one of my top three favorite movies of all time is 1939's The Women, directed by George Cukor, which was later bastardized to the point of being unrecognizable Mm -hmm. by I Don't Care Who and starring... shittier and shittiest right meg ryan was in that meg ryan post plastic surgery where she does not even look like herself yeah so no bless her heart i do not love that movie i hate that movie let's find out more about the women no and no produced and directed by diane english please stop talking okay if you want to see hey she created murphy brown that's weird sorry I just don't even know sometimes. I don't even. No, don't no, e- we're not going to talk about it. No, we're not talking about it anymore. Forget it. You haven't seen any Bette Miller movies. We're going to show you Bette Miller movies. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. I can't even with you. So I we're can't. not, but we're not going to watch the women. No, we're not going to watch the women because you've already seen the only the women it's, that there is. And yeah, the women, the actual, the original movie, the women is really good. I wish that we had started this podcast about two years ago because I have shown him some of the greatest movies that have ever been made mm-hmm. and I would have loved to have gotten his reaction on on tape back then tape yeah. I don't think we're, we say on tape on, on computer. computer on computer back then yeah yeah but uh yeah no we love Drewless people I loved learning really all fun. about the Memphis style oh the other thing I wanted to say um they used the Memphis style in the costume design of the outfits that um Helen Slater yes. designs. Uh you see that For Memphis mm-hmm. also um if you notice you won't you wouldn't but I was just looking cuz I'd already seen the movie so many times in the background uh of Helen Slater and Judge Reinhold in their kitchen there are magnets on the fridge that are done in the shape that are, that are Memphis mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jesus Christ, we have yep. put this shit everywhere. I did. So, I, yeah. And that's the thing. I think uh, the production design had a lot of really funny side gags like that. Like, yeah. at one point, uh, the chief of police is uh, is caught on tape with a woman. And Boobies. It, while they're while they're while they're having sexual relations, they're in a compromising and situation. He's called about it and and, and blackmailed about it. Uh, and on his desk is a world's greatest husband coffee mug. Yes, which I thought was a great little. I love like just fun little side gag like that. Yep. Like, and it's not it's not prominently displayed. It's not no, like foregrounded. No, I it too, yeah. But like you you you're only gonna see it if you happen to just look around the frame and see it. So I Which I love is very zest. they like hide a little joke in there for you. Yeah. They don't just like foreground on the coffee mug and then pan up to see him. Like it's it's yeah. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was really really like great. the Napoleon Bonaparte statue. Exactly. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So but yeah, I loved I really loved the farcical stuff that happened several times. Like, uh, you know, Danny DeVito. Is happy because his wife has been has been kidnapped, but his mistress thinks that he has actually killed her and hurt her. So they're having a conversation, and 
and she's like, how could you do this? And he's like, I've been waiting to do this for a moment, you know, like, and they're talking about different things, but at the same time. And so like their reactions just get heightened and heightened and bouncing off of each other. It's a really classic comedy farce thing that a lot of comedies cannot pull off. No. And this comedy pulls off repeatedly, not just once, but like several times. Several times. It's the screenplay is really, really tight and fun and tied up in a fun little package and ends in a great way. Cause you're like, how is this going to end? But they take it in such a fun direction. I'm going to tell you so, something as really his wife. Um, if he says that a screenplay is tight, that is the highest compliment. It's really fun. It's a great, it's a great little That's package. That's the highest compliment. Because I could easily see it being like, okay, we've got the setup of the guy doesn't want his wife back. What's going to happen with the kidnappers. But when you fold in, the blackmail B plot of like his mistress trying to blackmail him because she misunderstands the situation too. Then the kidnappers misunderstand thing. There's a serial killer on the loose. All these crazy <laughs> loose ends come together in yes. a really fun way. Yes. And in this perfect and everybody everybody ends where you want them to. The bad guys get their own. The good guys get their own. Like it's great. Yes. It's a, it's really really well done. Yes. So really I fun think movie. That may very be fun eighties movie. Stupidest man on earth. Yeah. Very Maybe fun eighties movie. Should shoot him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, so, okay, I've done well again mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, you're doing great. I'm so happy. Yeah, Ruthless People was fun. And again, one of those movies that, like, uh, I I knew of, like, I recognized the title and knew of it. I didn't, I went in really cold. I did not know the plot. I made sure of that. At all. I didn't want him to. It's just one of those movies that I remember seeing, like, the box of in the video store when I was a kid, you know? And so I knew yep. it was around. And when we were talking about it, I was like, why do I associate this in my head with Howard the Duck. And you're like, they wear duck masks. I'm like, that's why. Yeah. So as a little kid, yeah. I must have seen both VHS boxes in the store and just blurred them together in my head. I saw Howard like the, the Duck in the theater and it was... I have not seen Howard the Duck. I'm going to say... Does Leah Thompson have sex with the Duck Man? Yeah. And I'm going to say, I feel like I was scarred and I and I feel like I feel like a generation of children should have um, therapy paid for. Because of Howard the Duck? Yeah. Because, again, and I just want to say this again because I want you to confirm it for me because I almost don't believe it. Leah Thompson has sex with that duck man. I think she does. Okay. I can't remember. I can't either. But listen, I can't talk smack about Leah because, A, I've loved her my entire life, and, B, she's my friend's best friend. Yeah. Yep. Howard the Duck also came out in 1986. That's weird. And she was a kid. Yeah, she was a kid. Yep. I know nothing about Howard the Duck. Uh, Bizarre. I definitely don't think we need to talk about Howard the Duck. Let's never see it. No, we're never going to see it. So yeah, that's, that's never definitely gonna be on not going to be a movie that mm-hmm. I show you. No, no, no. No, no. Hard pass, Howard. Hard pass on Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Um, but thanks for this one. This is really fun. Excellent. Like I really, I thought the jokes landed. I thought it was really fun and cute. I definitely got the Zaz style. Like when I saw that two directed, I was like, okay, I, I kind of want to get in for yep. it now. But I knew you would the minute you saw it. You were going to be like, wait, what? Yeah. But really fun. Like a fun 80s movie. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, this is cute. This Available is... to rent on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And probably iTunes, iTunes and all sorts of other whatever. stuff. So yeah. yeah. Just a FYI, few bucks. Rent if you want to if you want to watch it, if you haven't seen it, um, mm-hmm. ask your if you're like in your 40s. Uh... we're back sorry about that good god (laughs) we should let you know that actually our um mailman is a serial killer yeah um who attempts to murder me or daniel or both of us literally every day yeah except on sunday when he does take a break yeah 
So we're very grateful that our producer is able to do two jobs. Produce the podcast and bark and protect us. Yes. Yes. Um, I would not know what to do. I would not be here if not for her protection. No. Yep. Thanks, Sadie. Thank God. Thank you, Sadie. Good girl. Yeah, you're a good dog, Sadie. So Um, freaking loud. Very, very loud. And that's saying something coming from me. And it just, it's out of nowhere, too. Yep. Yep. There's not even like, there's not a preemptive growl. Nope. It's just zero to 90. She's waiting right now. So she's waiting for like a chance to do it again because she's trying to prove herself. (sighs) Freaking dog. Anyway, uh, do you want to do Hell Yeah? Hell Yes? Let's do Hell Yes. Okay. You go first. I'll go first. My Hell Yeah is the trailer for the new Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman. Can't wait. The Irishman. It is uh, coming out to Netflix and select theaters this fall. It is Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci in a Martin Scorsese movie. That's all I need to say. That's seriously, I'm done. Those it could be a documentary of those three guys having fucking brunch, and it would be amazing. I feel We're like done. I've already seen it. But yeah, like uh, it's about uh, Jimmy Hoffa. It features some CGI de-aged De Niro, and I'm gonna have to see the movie to see how that plays in the trailer. It's it's fifty fifty for it me. It upsets you a little I'll, bit. I'll be honest. I'm it like, upset you. it looks a little. It's not as bad as like you know, Tron Legacy with the creepy Jeff Bridges. Uh, or what cartoon they did man. to my beautiful Leia. Yes, or what they did to Carrie Fisher, uh, that abomination they in did Rogue not One. Need to do that. Rogue uh, and Rogue One is a bad movie, so don't see it either. Um, but yeah, it's it's Jimmy Hoffa, and it's it's a, it's the story of that t- directed by Scorsese again, Pacino, De Niro, and Joe Pesci. And I'm most excited, honestly, about Joe Pesci because that guy does not make movies anymore. And, and Scorsese does, got him to come back out and make a movie with Scorsese. And when he does, man, he makes him. He makes them. I love all three of those guys. I love Think Scorsese. I'm funny? Scorsese is a, uh, is, is a fucking genius. Yes. So watch the trailer. It's out on like YouTube, all sorts of places right now. Yes. And the movie's coming to Netflix sometime this fall. Yes, Herc is excited as well. Yeah, our cat Hercules is excited. He is super into Scorsese. Yeah, but like early Scorsese. He's real particular. Taxi which, driver. Yeah, and for a cat, you're like, oh, you have a really strong opinion. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's my hell yeah. My hell, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. My hell yeah is the um, comedy show that we saw last this past Sunday. Um, oh yeah, Steve Hofstetter. For those of you who don't know him, he is a working comedian. I mean, like hustling on the road, um, selling out small venues, but selling sure. out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's hilarious. Very relatable, very funny. Um, he is extremely well known on YouTube. Um, if you look him up, and I can link to him in our on our Facebook page. Um, he deals with hecklers super well and yeah. has become he's gone viral a couple of times very for like well shutting known. down hecklers in an amazing way. Yes, uh, he's fantastic, and uh, we got to meet him and talk to him. And what made me laugh was. He is Jewish and he is ginger. And he's like, yeah, I'm probably, you know, like I'm totally abnormal and you would never see anyone like me or whatever. And I'm thinking, I know like so many ginger Jewish people, like what is he talking about? And, uh, you know, shout out, shout out to my ginger Jews. What's up? Um, I grew up with a lot of Jewish friends and then I have a, a lot of Jewish friends now. I don't, you know, it's... And a lot of them are redheads, too, which apparently is a statistical anomaly. When talking to him, he looked at me like I was crazy. Not not at all. That's fine. Um, You're not Jewish, but you are redheaded. 
Um, well, because I'm not Jewish, honey. This freaking cat. Um, so he said two percent. Two percent of the population is redheaded, mm-hmm. and two percent. That's what he said. Of Jewish. redheads are Jewish, or Something of the population. Like I think of the population. I can't remember, but basically, he's like, so the fact that you know that many is like. It's in, bizarre. Insane and bizarre and who are you? And mm-hmm. I'm like some sort of uh, freak of the cosmos. And I was just like, well, anyway, I think you're great. And he's like, okay. Really nice um, guy. Really funny set. He, yes. he He workshop material for his new show and then just took questions from the audience. Really fun time. Yes. And the opener, uh, whose name I cannot remember. You'd be Mm-mm. better at it. I don't know. Suba. Nope. I'll look it up. Keep talking. Local comedian. For Houston people, absolutely hysterical, gross, which I love, um, funny shit. Like, and he and I, and <laughs> he and I had a nice moment where I was like, because I was right in the front row, and I'm like, was I like a bad front row person? He's like, no, you're the perfect front row person because you're not ugly and you make eye contact and you smile at me. He's like, I like good looking people in the front row that are like into it, and I was like, oh, thank you. Um, Radu Bandar. Radu Bandar. Look him up. Very funny if you're in Houston or not in Houston. I'm sure he's on YouTube. I don't know. But Steve Hofstetter, fantastic. Um, And I'm very glad that we went to see him, even though I had to come home and edit the podcast until 2.30 in the morning. You're a trooper. I love you guys so much. You're a champ. Um, Yeah. I feel like... I told Daniel that I wanted to I wanted to start doing a rant because um, I have so many things that I want to rant about. Most of my day is just is categorizing and listening to rants. I, you're not, so mean. That is no, so kidding. not true. That's not, not true. But you do announce rant when a rant starts. I do announce rant. Uh, She'll say rant and then go. And then I'll just I'll just let loose. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like a little Julie Sugarbaker moment. Yeah. Well, um, our mutual friend Travis Lemons, who is a really great film critic and great person all around. And maybe one of the strongest people I know. He can lift cars. Um, like for I think. real, I it's he's not normal, but mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a great review of uh, Hobbs and Shaw, which looks Shaw like, and Hobbs. Shaw and Hobbs. No, Hobbs and Shaw. It's, don't do that to me. <laughs> it's it's Haw and Shobbs. Um <laughs> You're such an asshole. <laughs> Um, people were asking me, they're like, you're not really going to say that movie, right? And I was like, listen, I, we're talking about two of the best looking Brits that exist in the world today, Idris Elba and Jason Statham being beefy badasses, beating the crap out of each other. And then, you know, The Rock, who is adorable. I don't like... He doesn't, like, ring my bell, but I think he's precious. not into The Rock like that. No, no, but I think he's precious. Like, I think he's a doll. I'd, Mm -hmm. like, hug on him, but I wouldn't be like, what's up? Um, But for me, yes, that movie sounds like the a fantastic way to completely shut down and just be happy for two hours. And... And I have no problem with it. I do have a problem with people who have a problem with it. I'm like, you need to calm the fuck down and just sit back and enjoy very good looking men beating each other up. And if you can't do that, then you... Just sweaty dudes slamming around. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Idris Elba, I'm not going to get to have Miss 007 because apparently now we're making him a girl. Um, And... 
I'm a traitor to my sex because I'm like, sorry, James Bond is a dude. Um, I'm not going to get to have him as James Bond. So at least I can have him as black Superman, which he is. That is what he says in the movie. I am not yeah. calling him. Although, I mean, yes. Good God. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying if a girl wants to go out and enjoy Hobbs and Shaw mm-hmm. and not give a shit, tell him what Alan said, because I love this so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, another friend of mine, film critic Alan Cerny, said that when you look at the Fast and the Furious movies now, the first one looks like a Sundance movie compared to where they've gone. Like, they're Which just insane. So, I laughed for... For a while. Now it's like the cars on cars on cars. When you look at the first one, it's like Paul Walker has to, he's an undercover cop. It's point talking break of with drag cars. racers. Like point it's so cars. calm. They like drag race and like, oh man, we just drag race. We got to do something else for 20 minutes of screen time. Let's just calm this movie right down. You know, my brother's going to come insane. after you. You know, my brother's going to come after you. I have not seen them he all. Has I've strong seen strong feelings about I've Fast, seen Fast and, and Furious. Furious 1. I've seen Fast 5. I've seen maybe another one. R.I.P. Paul Walker, because we love you. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, just that's that was a horrible tragedy. It was very sad. Um, I know my brother has very strong feelings about the Fast and Furious movies. I do not. I could not. I'm not one of those folks who could rank them. I'm not out there saying hashtag family. It's not my thing. I would love to get the ranking from my brother of his Fast and Let's Furious. Let's ask him. Let's ask him. Send him out. Send him out, P-Dog. Uh, yeah. So that's what okay. I got. I needed to rant about being able to enjoy sweaty man men. Yeah. And uh, maybe I'll have another rant next week. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There you go. Rant. It's rant. my Julia Sugarbaker moment. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, I think I kind of want to let Billy Joel take us out. William Joliam is actually his full name. Why do you do that? It's true. I really don't know you. I know. Because um, that song was so, so good. Yep. And we also couldn't it stop so singing a- it. Yeah, all night. Just <laughs> so 80s. It's we great. couldn't stop singing it. That was really good. Yep. Uh, so stay tuned. For if you have oh um we've if we've got new people from um last week's episode uh please feel free to write us visit our website notseenthispod.com our email is notseenthispod at gmail.com we're on all social media and as notseenthispod um we welcome any sort of feedback if you want us to talk about a movie we will do a mini so just for you. If you've got feelings about something we said, we will talk about it. We don't have to use your name or anything. Um, we welcome all, any and all. Yeah, hit us up. We actually have already had somebody um, offer to help us with our sound equipment. We're kind of making this up as we go. Because I don't know what I'm doing at, at all. all. I mean, at all. That was guys. amazing. For real. I didn't know you were going to say at all. I was just going to chime in with that. But when you said at all. Marriage, boom. motherfucker. Fucking Yeah. Oh, okay. cat and the dog, cat and the dog. All oh. right, well, now shit's going to get real. Oh, no. So we'll say... Bye forever. Bye <laughs> for now. See y'all next week. You see her sitting with a coffee and a paper with a high-top sneakers of the Makes up a face while she makes up her mind. Now you're in trouble, maybe she's an intellectual. What if she figures out you're not very?